you know, with her and Lynn Sr. celebrating the fact that they're going to spend a little more time together before she moves off. And a very funny ending gag with uh, Scoots finally finding a biker gang that she has something in common with. This was a really cute episode. I like the fact that they're putting together combinations of characters um, that we don't really get to see together. Lynn Sr. and Lori is a really neat combination because, you know, it's the father and the oldest daughter, and they're both the authority in their sort of things. Dad is kind of the authority when it comes to the family, and Lori is kind of the authority when it comes to keeping her siblings in line. So it kind of makes sense that she would end up in a managerial role because uh, I can't help but use the word um, even even without uh, Lori's inference. She literally has been training her whole life for this, and she's been keeping her siblings in line all this time. And it's there There are a lot of funny bits in the episode, thanks to uh, Flip and Scoots. Uh, uh, Flip is a character I know some of the fans hate, but I know the staff loves, and I love him as well, if he's used right, and Scoots especially. And she always tends to seal the show. But this was a real episode and really interesting for a number of reasons because it kind of shows the natural progression of things. The Loud House is a show that you can watch any episode in any order, but we're kind of seeing a progression of things as the characters sort of grow and prepare for the inevitable that may may eventually come perhaps not really since since the uh since the characters don't really age since they're cartoons but the inference is there someday Lori will have to move out if she was a real person and someday she'll be gone and lynn senior will miss her so it's kind of cute to see them finding something that they can do together and it's something they can do together to have this time while it still lasts. And I also thought it was very cute that Lori seems to be picking up some of her father's little mannerisms. Like when he's cooking, he always sings rhyming songs to himself, like, I'm chopping up the onions, do, do, do. And uh, Lori was doing the same thing. And also, while she was a manager, she was singing to herself as well. So I thought that was really cute that she picked that up from her father. What did you have, uh, what did you think about this episode, Jason? Um, well, there's things I like about it, and there's things I don't. I, I do think Lynn and um, Lori's relationship was cute. You saw the younger Lori, and I know the fan artists have kind of jumped on that one already. And that, that was cute, and that was adorable. And it was great to see uh, at the end, you know, after she went through all this uh, struggling, you know, she found something she was good at, and it did show their relationship. And I, I enjoyed that part, and Scoots is always kind of a funny background character to have. I did think that it was kind of like predictable once it got to the point where you saw that she was failing and struggling. You're like, oh, there's going to be a bunch of repetitive scenes where she's screwing up and, and bumbling and stumbling. And I, I think that's kind of uncharacteristic of um, Lori's character because, um, you know, she's always seen as sort of the mature, smart, more stable one. That's not like a bumbling uh, klutz like she, she was in, the, in a majority of this episode. But I do like the end and I do like the payoff. I just wish that they didn't make her so clumsy here. I think it's kind of established at this point that all of the louds kind of have an equal amount of incompetence, but it's definitely a case where we've seen Lori fail uh, sometimes 
partly because she puts her, she thinks before she acts, kind of like Lincoln does, kind of like Lynn Sr. does, kind of like all the characters do, and uh, Driving Ambition was a good Laurie-centered episode that was an example of that, and also uh, Selfie-Improvement, and I think in those episodes it was shown that, for the most part, the problems were not her fault, and I think in some in some cases in this episode they were her fault, but there were a couple of them that weren't, like that whole scene with the robotic arms uh, that kept mishearing everything she said. So Lori was yeah. responsible sometimes, but uh, sometimes it was situations beyond her control. So I, I, I think. I think one thing is is she did get poor training as a waitress. I'm like, who so just tell you, oh, memorize it all. I'm like, even the most seasoned waitress and waiter write down your order. So <laughs> I thought that was kind of like yeah. well, it wasn't all her fault. <laughs> That's true. It's uh, a combination of poor training and her um, and poor preparation, and also her being uh, kind of unprepared basically or trying too hard for something she was in over her head but i've seen some people say that they could relate to this episode because they had similar situations where they thought they were in a job that was perfect for them but it turned out not to be and i've definitely had that experience before i found a job that uh that really suited me so again it's a relatable episode as many of the episodes are and one other bit that I wanted to comment on quickly before we move on to their ex next episode is that the storyboard artist, Sarah Johnson, mentioned on Twitter uh, that she actually put in the little gag where Lisa falls over and we see her glasses splattered with ketchup as if she was, you know, as if she was as she was killed and covered in blood. And she said that was one of her favorite little sight gags that she's ever added to any episode. So I think it's cool that the storyboard artists are able to add their little gags and touches to the episode, whether it's uh, making some of the background characters more diverse, as we talked about last week with one of Sarah's other episodes, or in this case, just adding a sight gag that they thought was amusing. But now it's time to move on to the other episode of The Loud House. This was paired with, which is called uh, A Mud Above. And this was about Lana and Charles. And it's definitely nice to see an episode featuring featuring uh, one of the pets. Because out of all the characters in the Loud House Ensemble cast, I feel like the pets are the ones that get the least attention. But we have an episode with Charles here, and we're going to have an episode focusing on all the pets uh with uh wool as the focus next week but going on to this episode uh lana and charles are playing in the mud in the park being their usual dirty selves when this snobby girl comes over with her her a little prize show Maltese named Victoire. There's a funny joke in the episode that uh, Lana can't even pronounce his name. She's, she's always like, we're going to show that Victoire or that Vic, Vic, whoever he is. I just thought that was a funny touch. But uh, Lana um, said, learns that she's uh, Victoire has won three dog shows and is planning to go for a fourth. And, you know, Lana just basically gets offended by being insulted like this and she basically you know says i'm going to show you i'm going to win that dog show but of course it's something that's easier said than done because lana and charles are kind of incompetent charles just wants to sniff himself and play around with the butterfly that was one of the 
more amusing running gags in the first part. He kept uh, he kept playing uh, with a butterfly rather than doing uh, the dog show things he was supposed to. But eventually Lola comes along and she basically says, you know, if you fix uh, if you fix the engine in my little princess car, I'm going to train. I'm going to train Charles to be a real show dog, and that's exactly what happens. Charles ends up this really snobby dog. He doesn't want to shake hands or high-five Lana. He just wants to go out there and be a show dog, and Lana is impressed by how much he's changed, but he's also she's also disappointed because obviously it's not the Charles she knows and loves, and... It turns out that there's a tie in the dog show between Victoire and Charles, and they have to do one last walk for the judges to uh, determine who is the winner. And as Lana is backstage telling Charles that he, um, about this, you know, Charles is just very aloof and ready to win no matter what, and Lana says... You know, she's really sad. Where's the Charles that I used to know? I know you're not the, the sort of person who hugs anymore, but I really need it because I, I'm feeling really depressed right now. And Charles ends up hugging Lana. It turns out she has a dirty tennis ball that they were playing with in the park under her hat, and he immediately goes for this, and he's back to the old messy Charles. You know, the old... Uh, so uh, Lana decides to quit the dog show and, you know, just go back to her old life. And the next day, she's playing in the park with Charles again, and the snobby girl comes up. Like, she's like, oh, if it isn't Lana Loud and her grody dog, Charles, and he, she's just like, that's the way the episode ends. I thought this was a very cute episode because of the focus on the Charles and Lana, as I said, they're both very cute characters. It's it's cute to see Lana. Lana is perhaps much more of a dog than most actual dogs are. It reminds me of something the staff of The Simpsons likes to say about writing uh, for Ho Homer's personality. Homer has A dog would. The only difference is that Homer can talk, and I think that's definitely the case with Lana and. Like of the duo, but it was a cute episode. Some people said that it reminded them a bit of Toby Tiara's because of the fact that it involved a pageant and Lola and Lana were the main characters, and I can see that, but I think there were enough differences in this episode to set it apart a little bit and make it its uh, own interesting uh, story itself. And one little Easter egg slash inside joke I want to point out before I turn it over to you is uh, Jordan Koch, who storyboarded this episode, pointed out that uh, when Lana's watching the video of last year's dog show there's a dog in the class class who does a somersault and then plays a harp he's black and white he's modeled after uh, boy jordan's own dog who is named lincoln despite what you may think about the name he is not named after lab it's um he uh lincoln the dog came with that name when jordan adopted him and it's a complete coincidence that he happens to work on a show starring a character named lincoln but i think that's a pretty cool coincidence to have a dog that has the same name as a cartoon character you work with but i'm gonna turn it over to you jason what did you think about this episode um 
I really enjoyed this episode. It's one of my two favorite of season four, that this and um, Tales of Woe. But this one is just hilarious from start to finish. Uh, Charles and Lana, it's, it's, they're just funny characters together. And uh, some of the timing of the jokes, which is hilarious. What they do to Lincoln, where, where he, he passes gas and Lincoln's not, you know, he's completely caught off guard and he's laid out unconscious. And then all of a sudden Lucy just comes and drags his unconscious body. <laughs> out of, I'm like, there, it was dark and hilarious at the same time. I, I really enjoyed this one. And... Yes, there are some parallels with Toads and Tiaras, but it does have a different ending. Uh, if you remember in that, you know, Lana won. But in this one, she was like, um, you know, not worried about winning. She was just more worried about her friendship with Charles. And it's, it's just, it's, it's a hilarious episode. And I, I think that uh, I'm really starting to become biased towards all the episodes with the twins the last two seasons because I've loved every one of them. Yeah, I love Lola and Lana. They're very... They're they're very funny. Uh, yeah, these definitely both of these episodes definitely have a similar moral. Like it's better to be yourself than try to be what someone else tries to make you to be. But as you said, it's kind of told in a different way that makes both of the episodes definitely enjoyable in their own way. And with that out of the way, we are going to go over to the Casa Grandes, and we are going to talk about the episode that aired um, last week, which is uh, Croaked. And this is a very interesting episode because it's uh, been one of the ones that they've been talking a lot and a lot of promotion and stuff because it's one of the episodes they're most proud of, and I can definitely see why after watching it. Um, uh, Nickelodeon, uh, before this aired on TV, Nickelodeon uh, also... um, uh, had a 24-hour live stream of the episode on YouTube, and then they put it up for YouTube for watching, which it's it's still able to be seen, and it's gotten like over a million hits and things, and they're, I'm really proud of how the show is doing. Uh, the Casa Grandes is consistently the number two highest-rated show, um, kid show on cable after The Loud House itself, and uh, Lalo Alcaraz, who wrote this episode, tweeted uh, that uh, he was very proud that this episode has gotten uh, like a million hit or more hits on YouTube, and also that they were celebrating the success of the Casa Grandes at Nick Animation with a party today, so I'm really uh, glad to hear that, but going into this episode, uh, Adelaide who is Sid's younger sister, is very concerned about the fact that her that her pet frog, Froggy, died. And um, the uh, Casa Grande family with Rosa, main front and center, are um, preparing for Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. And they explain to... Um, Rosa explains to Ronnie Ann and said, oh, you know, this is a day where we celebrate the spirits of their ancestors and prepare for them to visit us once more. And so Ronnie Ann and Sid like that idea, but they don't get the full details about what Dia de los Muertos is supposed to be, and they just explain this to Adelaide. And Adelaide's so young, she thinks that Froggy will actually come back from the dead and visit her physically. So that so not to get her feelings hurt, they decide to borrow a frog from the pet store and pretend that it's Froggy come back from the dead for a few hours to play with her old friend Adelaide, and they do everything that they used to like to do together, and 
Once that's done, Ronnie Ann and Sid are relieved that they were able to make Adelaide happy again. But then later that day, Adelaide starts putting out more photographs of all of these people that she used to know. And also randomly Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> because I guess, you know, she's at the age where she's like, you know, I get to meet all my old relatives. They're coming back from the dead. And I guess she's like, you know, I can meet all my favorite dead celebrities as well. That's really deep. I just thought it was funny, you know how it's actually how a child would think but so they have to dress up as all of these different people and uh carlos gets involved because you know he loves historical figures so he jumps at the chance to pretend to be abraham lincoln but eventually it all goes wrong because uh he ends up uh adelaide starts up uh uses one of her ancestors favorite perfumes and Carlos starts sneezing and their costumes fall off and Adelaide is really disappointed because she realizes the whole thing was fake and eventually Rosa explains to her the true meaning of Dia de los Muertos which is to say that you know your ancestors are not coming back physically we're celebrating the return of their spirits and the memories that you had with them will always live on in your heart and Adelaide truly understands what the meaning of the holiday is supposed to be. I thought that this was a very cute episode and a very funny episode, which is a very difficult balance to do when you're discussing a topic as death. I remember a number of years ago, there was an interview where they said death was perhaps one of the topics that was perhaps too controversial that the Loud House would uh, never touch because of that, but I, uh, it's surprising that they touched on it in such a way that the target audience is able to understand it. I think the fact that even though there are some human characters involved, the fact that they made a frog, the focus is kind of interesting because, you know, it's the kind, sort of thing that a child would lose probably before they lost a loved one, but they would be just as heartbroken. And it's very interesting because uh, Lalo... Uh, not only wrote this episode, but he's also the cultural consultant for the show, which means that he has to look at all the scripts and make sure the references to Mexican culture are appropriate and not too offensive or stereotypical. And uh, he also served a similar role on the movie Coco, which was, of course, also about Dio de los Muertos. So it's very interesting. He talked about the fact that he... Um, Basically, as he put it, he had to check his own episode to make sure it was culturally accurate and got across what the meaning of Dia de los Muertos is supposed to be as as accurate as you can be in a silly cartoon that's about a dead frog. And I think he did a very good job. You know, it explains to people, you know, Dia de los Muertos is not the Mexican Halloween as some people think it is, even though it takes place concurrently or the day after Halloween. It's something different entirely. And I think it's really cool to see that all of these famous Mexican uh, entertainers are accepting the fact that this part of their culture and heritage is being brought to a larger audience and they say you know it's not um it's not culturally offensive if you yourself choose to celebrate it uh jorge gutierrez the director of another animated film dia de los muertos book of life said on twitter yesterday dia de los muertos is for everyone everywhere 
It is Mexico's gift to the world. And I think it's really sweet that they got this message across about how you should honor your ancestors. And it's like they, they kind of touched on the spiritual thing a little bit, the religious aspect, but they made it in such a way that, you know, if you want to see it metaphorically or if you want to see it as, you know, the religious aspect of the actual spirits returning, you can do that with the ending where Carlito saw a, saw a, uh, saw something when they were supposed to be posing picture and it turned out actually to be the spirit of one of Rose's dead ancestors and I thought that was very cute. Um, it's very interesting that uh, Rosa was the main character in this because uh, Sonia Manzano who voices her was also uh, the main focus on um, who explained death in another very famous way for kind of the same target audience. There was a famous episode of Sesame Street around 1983 uh, where one of the beloved human characters on the show, uh, Mr. Hooper, the actor who played him, died in real life. And they uh, had a very controversial, uh, they had an argument about whether or not they should cast the character or explain to the audience that uh, he had died. And they used Big Bird as the surrogate here to explain that, uh, you know, Mr. Hooper is dead, but other people are going to carry on what he used to do for you at his store, Big Bird, and will always have the memories. So it's like there's still a part of him with you, even though he may be gone forever. And this is kind of the same story. Uh, kind of the same lesson and Adelaide is six years old and Big Bird is supposed to be six years old uh, there was an interesting story Sammy Crowley told on Twitter after the Casa Grande's uh, premiered that the uh, character of Adelaide the crew fell in love with immediately but they got a mandate from the higher-ups at Nickelodeon that they felt you know Ronnie Ann's a girl Sid's a girl there are too many girls on this show boys are not going to watch this show so can you make Adelaide older and make the character a boy instead and they basically had to fight to explain like you know there are already too many boys on the show than girls as it is so can't we keep Adelaide the way that she is and they were very proud that they were able to win that battle and I'm definitely proud too because like Sid herself Adelaide has kind of become a fan favorite and I can see why because unlike Lola and she actually acts like a genuine six-year-old and if she had been an older character this episode would not have worked or even been able to have been made because she would have not been of the age where she does not realize what death is and that it's a permanent thing and be naive enough to believe that the spirits of your ancestors can physically come back for a day so i'm glad that they were able to keep adelaide the way she was and tell the story the way they were supposed to tell it and one last thing before i turn it over to you i think i have bring up is the kicker gag as I like to call it which is probably one of the best on either show there was a running gag in the episode where Carl was spreading marigolds that are supposed to be used in Dia de los Muertos as to uh, find their way back home and it's a running gag that we keep seeing him in the background throwing them and at the very end of the episode we have the thing where I was talking about where Barlitos get the spirit and they have the photo taken and it's all sweet and everything, but all of a sudden there's a pause and a scratch and Ronnie Ann's like, wait, 
where's Carl? And then we see him, and he's finally finished spreading the marigolds, but he has no idea where he is. And there's a quick reveal and a very funny song cue that answers this question. Wait a minute. Where am I? In the Loud House. It was just so unexpected, and it made me laugh out loud. Um, uh, Lalo Alcaraz said, even though his name is on the episode, uh, the entire writer's room contributed to the uh, entire episode, as they do all episodes of Loud House and Casa Grandes. And he thinks Miguel Puga was responsible for that joke, but whoever was responsible for that joke, uh, that was fantastic. Miguel, you did a good job. Lalo did a good job. You guys all did a good job. Uh, I know that I said a lot about this episode, but again, because of its nature and because of the fact that the staff is so proud of it, there is a lot to say about it. What do you have to say, Jason? Um, what I was going to say is, you know, everybody has waited four seasons for the Loud House to, like, tackle edgier subjects or more controversial subjects, more, um, you know, and, and it took them, what, half a season and the Casa Grandes to tackle something like death. And like you said, those um, that Sesame Street episode where Big Bird is uh, dealing with death and trying to understand it, and you have all the adult characters trying to explain what it is to him, and you know uh, that that was very powerful back then. And the movie Coco was a fantastic uh, movie. If anyone hasn't seen it, uh, deals with it. You know that's the uh, the primary focus of the movie, and so you get this episode here that really deals with it in, in such, you know, like a cute way. It's not over, uh, it's, you know, it's not overly dark, but it does, it does bring up a serious subject and it does it in a, in a funny manner and in a dignified manner and the way like kids will understand it, but not to where it's dumbed down or anything. It's, it's done respectfully. Uh, and it's, it really is out of all the episodes so far, ain't too many of them, but it's the best episode of the series, in my opinion, so far, because it, it, it pushed an envelope that, even in four seasons, the Loud House uh, has been unwilling to push, for whatever reason. Uh, but it, it was, it was, it's a fantastic episode, and uh, I want to say, like, I've always said, I think, in the Casa Grande, my favorite character is Rosa. I, I just, you know, I, it's just, you know, the, the way they all look up to her and for her wisdom... And she's always got a good story, and she's always very understanding with the kids. And she's just, it's just a very uh, smart written character. And uh, I really enjoyed this episode, and I hope um, I hope they, they tackle more issues in the future. And then maybe they can continue to use some of the older Sesame Street episodes as sort of a, a guideline. Because Sesame Street back in the day, that's they would do this. And they did it again with um, where nobody believed uh, Big Bird had a best friend in Snuffleupagus. And, you know, some of the adults believed him and some of them didn't. And then, uh, so finally, they, you know, they find out his friend is real. And so there's different things they could do, I think, uh, that would, uh, you know, would be important issues that I think children deal with. Yes, I agree. I, I love the they're kind of the same target audience between the Casa Grandes and Sesame Street because we have, you know, Sonia Manzano, this famous Latina actress who was for many years the only prominent Latina actress on television, 
let alone children's television. And uh, when you listen to her in interviews talking about both Sesame Street and the Casa Grande, she says, you know, she's very proud of what she does. And she commented that since she's Puerto Rican, she didn't know what Dia de los Muertos was before she read the script for this episode. And she was able to learn what it was. And she was proud of how they were able to do it in a dignified way, but one that was also uh, simple for kids to understand. So I think it's really interesting that we have this connection between the generations and bringing the culture of the, the, the culture of the people of Mexico and the culture of Latinos living in the United States in general to uh, children in this way, but also in a way that everyone can enjoy regardless of their own heritage. Uh, yeah. One other way. note, I, one other note, um, I know you were mentioning they, they didn't want, or it was nothing but girls watching the show. Uh, you know, historically on the Loud House, was you have more female viewers than males, and for, I think for the first time ever this last week, you had more boys watching the show than girls. And I'm not sure why, but uh, it's just an interesting note that I, that I observed in the ratings. Well, that's great to hear. I'm glad to hear that they have an equal audience of boys and girls, which is uh, very nice to hear since there are, you know, we have Lincoln and Claude and we also have the sisters. So we have a, a you know, a huge pool of characters, both male and female, to tell stories about. And I think the same is true about the Casa Grandes because, you know, they said that they're going to go into different as well. The first episode of the show focused on Carlos and his relationship. Yeah. But it's going to be Yeah, they, they've got Carl, they've got Bobby. There's, there's plenty of uh, male characters in the Casa Grandes uh, yeah. to make it work. Definitely. Um, last week, uh, because we were kind of short on time for the uh, podcast, I decided to do a little bit of a Loud House News Roundup uh, of some uh, recent events that happened regarding the show. I don't really have any recent events uh, that happened this week, but one segment of the show that I thought uh, this podcast that I really loved was the Animation Corner. And at times like this, where we have talk about and the, you know the show kind of runs short i think i'm going to bring it back on a semi-regular basis to discuss other goings on in the animation world and today for my animation corner spotlight i'm going to discuss a little bit about once again into the big world of streaming there's a lot of news uh all the streaming services vying for viewers um there are some really interesting things coming up in Netflix that I'm going to cover in the future, like their adaptation of the great graphic novel Bone they're going to be working on. Uh, uh, Apple Plus uh, just debuted today. Uh, Disney Plus is going to debut next week. And we have another newcomer to the uh, streaming market that I'm going to focus on today, which is HBO Max. Uh, earlier this uh, week, uh, Warner Media, who is uh, uh, part of AT&T now, they've kind of merged together the two disparate halves of uh, the uh, Warner Brothers, which was Time Warner and Turner, which is Cartoon Network and what have you, and they've kind of joined them together. They used to operate as two separate companies, one out of Burbank, the other out of Atlanta. Now they're working together as one company, and their new streaming service, HBO Max, is going to highlight a number of uh, 
a number of properties from the vast library that they're working with, and they've announced a really interesting animated projects. Uh, one of the big projects that everyone has been waiting for is the new series of Looney Tunes cartoon shorts, which are being uh, supervised by Pete Browngard, the creator of Uncle Grandpa. Uh, they did a teaser earlier this year with uh, a silent cartoon just music with uh, Bugs Bunny tossing dynamite at Elmer Fudd that everyone thought was really well done and they were wondering, you know, when are we going to see more of these? And the answer is in May 2020 HBO Max debuts and seems like they have a really interesting staff on them. Uh, the really great uh, voice actor Eric Bauza is both Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and from what I've heard he does a fantastic job as both but there are also some other interesting projects uh, for general audiences and kids and family that sound really interesting as well. Uh, one of the general audience animated projects is a animated series being produced by uh, Elizabeth Banks called DC Superhero High, which is going to feature uh, high school versions of some of the famous DC Comics superheroes and villains. And there were also two other shows that were announced that sound interesting, one of which nobody was expecting, which came out of left field is a new show called Jellystone that's going to be show run by C.H. Greenblatt, the creator of Chowder and Harvey Beaks. And this is going to feature a goofy ensemble cast of all classic Hanna-Barbera characters, uh, Huckleberry Hound, Yogi Bear, Snagglepuss, Pixie and Dixie. There's a lot of characters uh, from the Hanna-Barbera universe, and Greenblatt himself said there's much more than the ones that were initially announced. And I think it's really cool to kind of have like an ensemble cast of these classic cartoon characters that we haven't seen in a while and put them in the hands of someone as quirky and beloved in the animation community as C.H. Greenblatt, whose uh, two shows, Harvey Beaks and Shatter, were both mistreated by uh, Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network, which he himself is kind of depressed about and is still kind of getting over. He, he's getting over, he's he likes the fact that people, you know, are finally accepting his shows for what they are. He was very tickled by the fact that Lil Nas X did an entire song called Panini, which was about the character from Shatter, who was voiced by uh, Lenny Loud herself, Liliana Mumi, of course. But it's very interesting to see someone... Uh, well, not only Pete Browngart with the Looney Tunes characters, but taking C.H. Uh, with the... Um, Hanna-Barbera characters and just letting them run wild with them. It'll be interesting to see the result. And the other show, which is in the early stages of development, uh, is a live-action animated which is being uh, developed by the writer of the Lego movie and produced by uh, Robert Zemeckis, the famous director who did Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, all those great films called Tuned In. And it's about a kid who starts seeing famous... Uh, characters like Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck in his everyday life and they end up becoming his life coaches and advice givers basically for what the press release said helping him navigate through the roughest part of his life um, a lot of people have commented that the whole concept uh, kind of sounds like a show uh, that Cartoon Network had a number of years ago called Out of Jimmy's Head or Reanimated, was, which was originally called, which was uh, kind of based on the uh, urban legend 
Disney's head being frozen, and it was about a kid who ended up getting a brain transplant of this Walt Disney-type character and started seeing these fictional, in our universe, cartoon characters in... Um, uh, in his everyday life and that show was kind of a mixed bag you know some people liked it some people didn't but the fact that they're using real uh, Warner Brothers cartoon characters as well as some of the Turner characters one of the promo shots had Droopy in it and the fact that we have people like uh the writer of the Lego movie, Jared Stern which was a fantastic you know ensemble comedy with cameos from famous pop culture characters as well as Robert Zemeckis who directed Framed Roger Rabbit which was of course probably one of the first successful combinations of live action and animation which also famous cartoon characters cameo in it makes it sound like it's going to be an interesting show all of these projects sounds really interesting and i don't know if people are going to leap at hbo max at first because it's going to cost 15 dollars a month uh they plan on doing a advertising uh backed uh version later on i don't know if that will cost less but it's very interesting to see that these projects are out there and all of them sound really interesting uh, do you have anything to share both on this subject and, uh, well, first on all of these new shows for HBO Max, and is there anything you'd like to share? Yeah, um, well, first off on the, uh, the the Jellystone, I think it's long overdue. We have something uh, more with Hanna-Barbera. You uh, haven't really seen those characters in many years. I know when Cartoon Network first came about, you know, they would show a lot of the old reruns over and over but as years went by you kind of they went to kind of boomerang and then all of a sudden they're really not even on boomerang anymore but now it's, it's kind of great to see some new material because there is the Hanna-Barbera library if anyone doesn't know is just ridiculous because uh in the was the late 60s all through the 70s and up to the early 80s uh they they owned the market on cartoons and they, they everything that came out was pretty much Hanna-Barbera back then and so it's good to see them, uh, those characters come back. Uh, one thing, when you mentioned Bugs Bunny guiding a child through life, oh, yeah. I was thinking of um, Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue, that special that came out, it was like 1990, and they were helping, it, it was all animated, but they were helping this kid who had a drug problem, and Bugs Bunny's lecturing him and giving him advice, along with many other cartoon characters, Alf and Huey, Dewey, and Louie, and... Uh, and Garfield and a few others, and so that 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 was the first thing that I thought of when you mentioned that. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, and so, I mean, with with all these different streaming services, I think you're just going to see competition is a good thing, and I think you're going to see a lot of ideas that will get greenlit that necessarily don't make it on cable, because uh, the show that I'm going to talk about. When, when it came out, it was buried on cable. But you're going to see a lot of new, new ideas, creative things. People are going to try things. And some of these newer streaming services are just, they're probably going to take chances on stuff that, say, Nickelodeon or Disney XD or, or um, Cartoon Network may not take a chance on. But the show that I want to talk about, it's old school. Uh, and I was watching it while... We kind of had that long hiatus where there was no Loud House and no Casa Grandes and really nothing else new on. But I went back and I watched the entire series of Chalk Zone. And I didn't really, I didn't even know the show when it came out. 
just really, it was literally buried on a Nickelodeon schedule. And if you look at it, like the first episode, I think came out in 1998, wasn't aired until like 2000. They air it for a season or two and then skip another year and air another season. And then like 2008 is like season four. So they, they, they buried the show and they never really gave it, gave it a chance. And it's a really good show if anyone hasn't watched it. You know, it's about Rudy and his friend Penny and his imaginary creation, Snap, where he, he basically has this magic chalk and he draws it on the board or wherever and he goes into this other world and, you know, he cre- it's like there's these other dimensions and all these creations and it's all his work and he's got to go in there and he, every time he creates something, there's a consequence and so when he does something, there's another problem and there's another problem. He's always trying to fix things and if you look at it just the different characters and all the all the creative and weird strange things are going on and you look at some of the cartoons that came out in the last 10 years um rick and morty for example and things like that some of the even the more adult oriented cartoons i think this show influenced a lot of different things over the years just look going back and looking at it and it has a lot of old 80s references and stuff too which uh i'm a sucker for Yes, um, I I'm familiar with Chalkstone. I used to watch it when it was on. I'm gonna have to go back and watch it myself because I do remember it being a pretty uh, entertaining show. And there's a lot to like, and a lot of uh, very famous voice actors and voices for it, and a lot of interesting people uh, worked on the show. I've talked a bit uh, before about one of I consider her one of my friends in the animation uh, business, uh, Aliki Theophilopoulos. Uh, she went on to write for Phineas and Ferb, and she. She's working on a show that I discussed on my very first episode, uh, Harvey Girls Forever, whose third season is coming to Netflix next week, the same day as Disney Plus, coincidentally. Dog Zone was the very first show Aliki ever worked on. In fact, there's an old promo picture uh, for the show with uh, Rudy, Penny, and Snap, and they're in a field. She actually drew that pic publicity photo, and she hid her signature in it. There are like these chalk-like blades of grass, and if you look at them closely, one of them is actually the Aliki which I think is pretty cool. I'll have to see if I can find that picture for you. Um, yeah, one, one episode I'll, I'll highlight in that series, I think it was in like the very last season, and there's an episode where, where Rudy's right-handed, and he draws all these fantastic artists, and he draws all this, these amazing creations. Well, he breaks his right arm, and so he gets stuck in shock zone, and he's having to draw things with his left hand, and it looks terrible. And so, and he's trying to find his way out of there because there's people after him in this episode. And so it, I thought, like, wow, that's just a clever plot, plot for just a... Uh, you know, uh, early morning cartoon. Definitely. Um, well, that's all for this. Thank you so much for joining us. And I'd like to thank uh, Loud Family 11 for uh, allowing me to take over the reins for a night and basically uh, running the whole show behind the scenes. Um, I'm going to tell folks where we can find uh, we can find uh, me. But uh, Jason, could you tell us where you're out and about on social media and what happened? Yeah, right now I'm I'm still on Twitter and Instagram a lot. Uh, my Twitter is Jason H Brow, and my Instagram is Loud Brow. So um, if you're on either or, I'm around on there. And um, I've been on YouTube and a lot. I haven't made a lot of YouTube videos, but I have a JB's Variety Channel and I have Funko Jason, which is my Funko Pop channel. And that's pretty much it. 
Yes, definitely check him out because he does yeah. some fantastic art and things like that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RWMead. I'm on Instagram where I occasionally post some art of my own at Ryan W. Mead. And I also run a second Twitter account which is devoted solely to the Loud House and the Casa Grandes. At Loud Ramblings, which is a combination of show news and the occasional uh, role-play joke done in characters, one of the Louds or the Casa Grandes. If you have an amusing question for any of the characters from those universes, go ahead and ask them, and you'll usually receive a funny reply with, you know, me helping them write it, if you know what I mean. But um, thanks so much for listening. Uh, you can uh, listen to us in all the usual places, like iTunes and SoundCloud and YouTube, and you can follow us on Twitter at Loud Podcast. And I think that's all. I'm sure Loud Family Eleven will tell me if I'm leaving anything out, but I don't think I am. But until next time, everyone, thanks so much for listening, and remember to stay loud. Have a great night, everyone.